one one thing that we did say when we started this podcast is that we we didn't want this podcast to be a weekly where did we go book. diving like yeah. a, our weekly logbook. But you get that travel agent dive crap in a magazine. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. The mizzen mass and the jib booms. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get rocking. Let's get, right get cracking. We'll get right to work. Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. Yeah, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. Welcome back home, James. Hey, we are back home from beautiful whirlwind weekend. Straits of Mackinac. It, it was a whirlwind weekend. It was a. Uh, it was our second. Great Dive Podcast adventure out on the Great Lakes. Second official Great Dive Podcast trip. We had a we had eleven divers out on the boat, mostly from this yeah. Great Lakes, Michigan area. Yeah, so, it was really um, fun. Great people. Yeah, it was a really really good time. It was uh, like you said though, it was a whirlwind of a trip. I mean, yeah, we closed up the shop on always whooped on, on Friday night and hit, drove yeah. till midnight. Dove Saturday, got up the crack of dawn, breakfast, dive. Had a, uh, had a nice day in town there. Camaraderie. Great Went to a little wine tasting. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice, funny tasting. afternoon. Back up in the morning. Long day on the water. And then a yeah. long, long, rough drive home. That was, a, that, was a, that was a rough drive. In our young days, that, was, that would have been nothing. Nothing. In the old days, we would have stopped for something to do along the I way. I know. Just I can remember adding, driving, adding driving to, to Florida. Getting there, going, you know, driving straight down to Fort Lauderdale. Through the night, we get there at four in the afternoon. Go Jump for a night water. dive, yeah. yeah. Go for a night dive. That, that was nothing. Or those cave runs of working all mm-hmm. day at the shop. Yeah, you leave. On, on Thursday, leaving at seven, driving until noon. When you show up to the, you know, to the dive site, blue or something, you jump in, <laughs> yeah. do a dive, and a couple dives, and go out to dinner. Yeah, those days are probably gone. Those are rough. I, I'm bidding them a fair adieu. Is that the right? I bid my fair lady adieu. <laughs> I did, uh, you know, a few years ago, I worked a movie here in Detroit, and it was, uh, you know, I was at the shop all day, left the shop, had to get down to the Detroit River, and, you know, the you know call time was at like 7.30. So mm-hmm. you get down there, and then it's, you and, stay it's up all, all night. these night scenes. Yeah. And you worked all night long, mm-hmm. you know, shots of sunrise you know coming across the detroit river you know in the morning and you, you get off at like 8 a.m yeah uh, yeah brutal yeah i was brutal with you on day. one of those yeah, and yeah, then we went days. went and had breakfast yeah right right right, right. bloody mary <laughs> after a brutal evening of work but all good fun i'm liking the go up a day early it's what, see, do a weekend of diving. I've I've arrived at that day. a while ago at that wisdom i've arrived at that conclusion okay the um the weather was magnificent. You couldn't have asked for better weather up there. 
at second day, especially on the Lake Michigan side of the bridge, oh. was uh, glass-ish. Yeah, just it was beautiful. Yeah, virtually zero wind, stern ties from the uh, from the standing on the boat. You could see damn near Antarctica. 20, 30 feet underwater. Oh yes, the um, it wasn't cold either. Oh, wait, it was cold. <laughs> Did we do the same dive? Yeah, it was pretty chilly. Uh, water was 41 at the bottom, 41 Fahrenheit. I think a few people had 39. I think that was more accurate. Yeah. 41 is nothing to me. 39, I feel it. Well, in me bones, matey. I, I've got a, I've got a bit of a theory. It's a mathematical model. Yeah. I like. You know what I like oh. to do? I like to argue over one and two degrees <laughs> with people because they come up and how? What did you get? I got 39. I got 40. Well, well, I got 37.2. My favorite are the guys that have the internal fight within their own mind. Because they're wearing two computers. <laughs> that's all, that's all the crazy people. And oh. one says 41 <laughs> and one says 39, and they're trying to decide which one it really was. Yes. Like, you need that fight going on. My mind's got a lot of other fights going on. But I, I've got this internal, um, what, do you, what would you call it? I've, I've got this mathematical oh. theory. An algorithm? It's, or a, a, theory. it's a bit of an algorithm that okay. uh, there's the... Per degree change in temperature. And how much it affects you or you feel it. Correct. Right? Yeah. And it's not, yeah, I'm with it's you not a this. linear line. Oh, no. It's, it's, uh, there's definitely some kind of calculus type there's gotta be. formula yeah, yeah, yeah. for it. Because, yeah, you go... You go from 70, 60, to, 70 yeah. to 60. No big deal. No Even big 60, deal. 50, a little more. The slope 50, starts to increase. Exactly. Yeah. And then... You yeah. go from 50 to 40... Boy, does it really start yeah. cooling, and, and there's an effect, more of an effect oh, yeah. per degree. Like 42 then, to 37. Whoa. It's like a hot tub almost, right? 37. Oh, my God. It hurts. It's so cold. No, 42 is, is warm like a hot oh, tub compared to 37 is what I mean. No, I, that's a good point because you're exactly right. Yeah, the cold, the, when you get yeah. below, and then when you get below that 40-degree mark, every, every, every degree, degree is kicks like 10. Like 10. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm with you there. Do we need uh, We need one of our... Math genius listeners to put together the official TGDP cold to temperature to Chart. what would we call it? The feel the temperature to the like it'd be like wind chill. We we'll, we can call it water chill factor. It's kind of like wind chill. It's a dive chill factor. That's what we could call it. The dive chill factor. The tangent of the temperature multiplied tangent. by the <laughs> just throw cotangent. <laughs> Sign There's some trigonometry the, in there. Yeah, I don't know if that's if it's that simple. The Celsius think, uh, multiplier, yeah, divided by the square root of the Fahrenheit factor, gives you a really nice curve that you can look at, and you'll know exactly what it's going to feel like. When it's it, more of a function that water of, hits thirty function of n graph or something to that effect. So we dove four different wrecks over the weekend, and we had the discussion of next time we go up and do it. We don't want to do it like that again. I mean, no. That's the typical way you do a, a dive trip because everybody yeah. goes and they want to get as much in as they can. Yeah, it's, and they want to see as many different they wrecks. Want, yeah, they want to get as many you know names written down in that logbook yeah. as possible. But in hindsight, you know, it's, you know, we've dove enough up there over the years that now you really want to go up and really spend time on each one of those dives and multiple dives on one wreck to really come together with the best photos you can well yeah and you want to be able to set up the photos make a plan of the photos and, and if you, you know, are you just can... doing one dive on it it's hard to come up with a really you know a cohesive 
well thought out plan. And you can kind of do it based on a drawing maybe or if you the thing is we don't know what wrecks we're doing till the morning we get there. Right. And then and once you find out what we are going out to, you can get a decent plan, but until you get in the water and you see what the viz is like, right. you see what the current's doing, you see what what's happening underwater, you know, by the time you rework that mental picture that you put on the boat into action underwater. Yeah, and you have yeah, limited time yeah, underwater. You're, you're, you're running out of time, yeah. and you come up, and then boom, now you're taking off to the, to the next dive site. Right. And I get it. That's a pretty typical way that the diving program works. But I'm, I'm of the age now that I, I would like to go and do you know, multiple dives on the on the one rack and really At least slow, two dives, yeah. yeah. to really slow down and get the most out of each one yeah. of the wrecks. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm over Set the, up shots. Yeah, I'm over the phase strokes. of saying I've done it, done it, done it, done it, done it, mm-hmm. done it, done it. I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I want that deep zen-like appreciation of well, each one slow and this clean. Is the, yeah, and, this is the difference between a young man and an old man or a woman is the wisdom. It's the wisdom. It's quality versus quantity, especially on the on the ladder dives. You start to get that zen-like feeling. Everything just happens without doing. Doing without doing, per se, to quote a, a zen master. Well, yeah, because you, you know, when you first get on that wreck, it's so overwhelming. And, and you're, you're trying like, to see as like, much oh, as you yeah, can. You as to, much. Yeah. And in reality, you don't see anything. Right. That's exactly right. The harder you try, the less you do, actually. And Versus go down, take a nice leisurely dive, take in the wreck in, absorb the whole essence, if you will, and get an idea of, hey, maybe on my second dive, so I'm going to plan some shots. I'd like to see it. You know, you'll, you'll also be able to see the different angles that might look, quote unquote, cool. Yeah, right, right, you know, right. More photogenic. So you, it, I, I would say it's instead of diving the wreck, trying to let the wreck dive you. Oh. Into, how about that one? All right, let that wreck. wreck take you around rather than swimming around the wreck trying to see it all mm-hmm. let that wreck pull you from place to place so you can really start yeah. to see and absorb it. it yeah yeah very good you know going down getting your breathing in check getting your buoyancy so that you're really one with that environment that you're on and letting that wreck guide you around itself i agree yeah that's great and do you know it would be great to just do like if you already got all your gear the only thing is you need more gas or you have to do it with stages but I would, you know, do three dives on in one day on it. If we could get a charter like that, yeah. go to one wreck and you do three dives on it. It'd have to be a good wreck. I mean, there are there are wrecks that are small. Three dives is maybe overkill, a Mary Alice but, or something like that. But you but know. two of them, like going down, checking yeah. the conditions, setting up the dive, coming back up, reworking the plan so you can be as efficiently as possible yeah. down there. Especially if you're doing something photo wise. I mean, if you're just yeah. Wreck Video diving. or photography, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I get it if you're just wreck diving, you're just going to go swim around and enjoy it on your own. And there's nothing wrong with that, too. I mean, that's that's very noble in and of itself. But when you're trying to accomplish a, a task down there, it's nice to get yeah. those multiple dives. Akin sure. to a survey kind of thing. You yeah. know, that's what setting up a good photo shoot on a wreck or anywhere is. You, you want to go dive it and see it. You know, it's like even topside. You, it's hard to show up at a place and just, boom, you like to go in and... You know, see the lighting. When I used to do that, you know, those magazine shoots at various places, I'd go, I'd go an hour early so I could walk around the place and see where the lights coming in. You know, what would be in my background of my shots. That's the same thing with the wrecks. Where's the light coming from? What's what's going to be a good angle? What do I want in the background for my dive? You know, I always like to have a diver personally. That's my thing. But 
You know what I mean. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So one one thing that we did say when we started this podcast is that we we didn't want this podcast to be a weekly where did we go diving like our weekly logbook of you know hey this you know we were doing yeah just talking about the dives but you get that travel agent dive crap in a magazines right uh, right, you know up the yin yang quote unquote but every now and again quoting unquoting (laughs) myself because i say up the yin yang all the time If I ever find my yin-yang, there's going to be a lot of stuff there. James Mott says, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Uh, we, we didn't want to be like a podcast of our weekly diving logbook. But every now and again, we we do want to share some of the dives that we do, especially when we find some cool writings and history to go along with it that's going to relate to our listeners as divers themselves, whether they dive the Great Lakes or not, that they can bring into making themselves better divers and more rounded divers. One of the local Great Lakes shipwreck writers and shipwreck storytellers and shipwreck hunters, especially up in the, the Straits of Mackinac era, area there, was a guy by the name of old Chuck Feltner. He and his uh, wife, Jerry, I believe. Old Chuck Feltner. Is he still alive, Chuck? I believe he is, yeah. He's yeah. still kicking. Is he diving? I don't think so. He's is he a diver or is he just a shipwreck researcher? No, he was a, he was a diver as well. Because yeah. I hate shipwreck researchers, <laughs> <laughs> shipwreck geeks. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm kidding. So he uh, he and his wife got certified down in the Caribbean back in like the late seventies, and by like seventy seven seventy eight, they had uh, taken their boat up to the Straits of Mackinac. And started diving and got out on a couple of the, the known wrecks up there and just absolutely fell in love with the the mystery and the draw to the, the Great Lakes waters and the, the Great Lakes shipwrecks. No, for those of our listeners who have never dived the Great Lakes, what would you like to impart to them? I think they should know, you know, this is really one of the uh, most unique diving experiences as far as shipwrecks you can have worldwide. I mean, you're not going to find shipwrecks in the number and in the condition that we have Absolutely. in the Great Lakes. And then I, I would say the like the, 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 the different styles of ship, too. Oh, there, yeah. There's so, there's so many different types of ship through the year, like ocean ships that came into the inland seas right. that, that had no business here, and they found out. In the, we the will case fuck that we're gonna... you up. <laughs> the Great Lakes will fuck you up, ocean ships. which is exactly the case with the wreck we're going to kind of chat about today with that sandusky but navigating in these waters wasn't like being out in the the open ocean and those ships you know had a rough go you know coming into these waters yeah some of them didn't make it and we get to dive them we have the steel freighters and you got got the old woodies yeah we've got the woodies uh we You've got all of that from got iron, like I say, uh, steel freighters all the way back to the 1700s, and and probably even further if you you know if they find them. Yeah, but yeah. I mean they're hundreds of years old. Personally, uh, I'm a fan of the old woodies. Steel freighters are nice. They're big. They're kind of neat. Uh, but the old woodies, the old wooden schooner types, or even steamers, they're something to see underwater. You know, and the the neat thing about them is almost all of them are upright. The woodies versus the steel freighters, which seem to capsize a lot. You know, they tumble. The the woodies got keel stones for the most part, so they just sink 
just like they were on the surface. So you run into them. You know, we have those, especially up in that Presque Isle area, you have several that are mass still standing because they sank in deep enough water that the wave action isn't really affecting the mass. So Right, and when, when you say wood, I mean, literally, it's wood. Be- beautiful wood. You'll throughout. sport wood on these. That you can still see that it's wood. It's not like the, the, the ships that you get in out in the ocean, which gets yeah, just, just covered just, in sponges and covered in corals. Or and, eaten away. Or eaten away yeah. with the salt. I mean, th- this and is, animals eat that wood away, yeah. yeah. So here the stuff gets pretty preserved. Now, yeah, there's a lot of the zebra mussels that are that are that have grown on... Yeah. on a lot of the shipwrecks. Which is a double-edged sword, right? It is because, boy, you know, when you look like back in, in Chuck's early day in the 70s and 80s, and, and I talk with a bunch of these guys, should... local shipwreck, uh, you know, guys that were, were doing a lot of these early dives yeah. in the, in the well, 80s. Well, I've got and... video still from uh, late 80s, early 90s of uh, the Dunderberg, for example, which is a great example because I have it from like 90, and you go there in the middle of the day, beautifully sunny, and you get down past about 120, and it's night. It is just night. I mean, it starts getting dark at like 50, 60, 70. Right, and not, and and not like night and clear. No, it's night and murky. <laughs> yeah. night and murky. You've got literally, even with your light, I mean, you can see your visibility, maybe 8 to 10 feet, maybe 12 feet. But it's, it's effectively a night dive. And then you, I've got video from like the mid to late 90s. I've even got video into the 2000s, but just even to the mid to late 90s, it's like a, a different dive. Well, and then you look at today, oh, it's, yeah. it's... You can find like, spectacular it's beautiful, yeah. it's beautiful blue water with 100 feet of visibility. So thank you, Zebra Mussels. Thank you. So the Feltners wrote a book in the early 90s, The Shipwrecks of the Straits of Mackinac. And he mentions in the um, preface of the book that many events described in this book took place before the existence of a myriad of modern-day devices. Over half the shipwrecks described herein occurred before the telegraph or railroad reached the Straits of Mackinac. Imagine yourself in a Mackinac world where the electric light, telephone, and automobile had not even been invented. This book aims to engender a willful suspension of present-day reality, such that you, our reader, may experience the shipwrecks of the Straits of Mackinac in the same way as did the mariners who sailed them. Nice way to put it. So Old Lake Michigan, on the western side of the state of Michigan, one of the, the big, glorious Great Lakes, is known for some wild storms of its own on that little inland sea, which, again, people that are not from this area have a hard time understanding the the vast size when we say Great Lakes. Yeah, you, you can't see across the other side, much less drive there in a, in a you know, Right, hours. I mean, there's, there's sailing, sailing races that occur, you know, in one of the lakes, you know, going up, like, days, which can yeah. last days to, to get from one end to the other. So we've talked about old uh, William Radigan's book, The Great Lakes Shipwrecks and Survivals. He's got some pretty good stories. You know, back when... Uh, Back in one of the early uh, early episodes, I, I read did some readings out of this when you were out of town, and we needed oh, a, we the, needed uh, a, a okay. fill in episode, mm-hmm. you know. But he he mentions the fact that Lake Michigan has had more major shipping disasters than all the other Great Lakes combined is pointed up by the passing mention of the steamboat Niagara, holder of twelfth place on the all time list of freshwater shipwrecks. In all the histories and all the record books, the following is the longest notice found. Other complete losses of the season were the Brig Oxford, sunk by propeller, 
Cataract in Lake Erie and Five Lives Lost. Schooner Kate Hayes lost on Spectacle Reef, Lake Huron. Steamer Welland burned at Port Dalhousie, Lake Ontario. Steamer Superior lost on Lake Superior during a storm. The Brig Sandusky sunk in the Straits of Mackinac and Seven Lives Lost. Schooner Maria Hilliard wrecked at Death's Door. Lake Michigan Steamer Northerner sunk by Steamer Forest Queen and Lake Huron with 12 lives lost. Steamer Niagara burned off Port Washington, Lake Michigan, 65 lives lost. In the year 1856, there were 597 disasters recorded on the Great Lakes during the season of navigation. Wow. The Niagara simply had to be lumped in with the rest. So the Niagara, a big one that he talks about in his book, 65 lives lost. But he does mention in there about the old Sandusky losing seven lives in that same time. Cool stories. Cool story, bro. Cool story, bro. Tell it again. Which brings us to the wreck of the old Sandusky. Reminds me of that song. So the the Sandusky was built in 1848, a couple years ago. In 1848. What were the hot TV shows of back 1848? In, in 1848? I don't know. I can tell you the top 10 music videos, though. Uh, Steam killed the sail sh- sailing ship star. Uh, hold so, on. I'm, I'm here all week. <laughs> Please tip your waitresses. <laughs> <laughs> so this was uh, obviously was a wooden ship. Um, it was a. They was, prefer to be called woodies. It was a woody, and it was a it was a brig. They prefer to be called briggies. Now I'm not a big shipwreck nerd, and this is one of my faults in life. I I, I, I don't think it's a I, fault. I think it's it's an admirable quality. I, I would okay? I would like to be a little bit More better nerdy. adept at just being able to rip the jizz mast uh, and the biz boom, and uh, <laughs> the dead eyed Nick. Yeah, but, but you know what I mean uh, because. The, the, Interestingly, he talks about how the shipwreck Sandusky was almost ill-fated because it was a brig. And the, the brig, if I understand it correctly, was one of those classic square, classic, one of those yes. classic square mm-hmm. sailed ship. It, it's what you picture when you see like, you know, the, the classic jun- tattoo on grandpa's arm of the oh, yeah. sailing yeah. ship. Well, actually, know? I picture a schooner. Well, or even a bark. Well, that's what was better run throughout the Great Lakes, and that's what the shipping changed over to because those sails allowed the ship to maneuver better. Yeah, especially and barks moving, are close. They're just a smaller schooner. And especially in the, the waters of the Great Lakes, especially in that area of Mackinac, where those big open lakes, you've got to make those big turns. Let's go back to you being a shipwreck nerd. Yeah, let's go back to that. <laughs> So the, wow. the the brigs were those big classic square sails that were really made for sailing across the, the ocean. Let's right make up. sure we got our facts right because we do not want to incur the wrath of any shipwreck geek. Well, because you start I, saying something, no, no, it's not I, exactly the difference. At, I, was, okay. I was trying to get You're a like, little bit. Of oh knowledge. well, technically, 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 the square scales <laughs> of the brig were also available on the trimaster. Uh, <laughs> Excuse me, sir. I need to point out something here. Technically, the brig didn't exist until 1872. <laughs> But anyways, so Feltner describes the Sandusky. He starts off by saying that although four and a half schooners were by and far the favored rig for the Great Lakes sailing vessels in the 19th century, many vessels carried the brig rigging in the period before 1860. 
Such vessels, although very fast in the open seas, were less maneuverable in the confined waters of the Great Lakes. They eventually gave way to the more responsive fore and aft schooner rig. Brig-style rigging disappeared completely on the Great Lakes. With the sinking of the Robert Burns in the Straits of Mackinac on November 6, 1869, she was the last full-rigged American brig ever to sail the lakes. What one was it? The last full-scale American rig? The Robert Burns, brig. which went down in 1869. Arr, Robert Burns. So about 15 years after the Sandusky went down, they were like, all right, th- these types of ships ain't going to fly. Of course they're not going to fly. They're sailing ships. They're going to sail. Robert Burns was the poet from Scotland. He was Scottish. If it ain't Scottish, it's crap. He was the uh, poet laureate for, for Scotland. I used to go to a Robert Burns party every year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you about that. Yes, yes, yes. Where yes, we yes, sampled 40 yes, scotches. Yes, yes. Beautiful. Or more. All right. We got to stick to this, though. We got, uh, we, that, got, we got a lot to get done. That's what this wreck was. This ship was named after. No, no, not that we're blowing past the Burns. Oh, I know, but I'm just trying up. to point out a small little tidbit of factoids. Go ahead. Get you want to get all shipwreck geeky? I'm just trying to fit in here. The Robert Burns what? Robert Burns. He was a he was a Scottish poet. He was the he was the poet laureate for for Scotland. But he didn't care to be it. He just he liked the title, I guess. But he was a drunkard too. His his poems are all about women and booze. As fair art thou, my bonny lass, so deep in love am I, and I will love thee still, me dear, till the seas gang dry. We slicket cowan trimrose beastie. Oh, what a panic's in thy breasty. Thou need na start our say hasty. We bickering brattle. Now nobody I no- wadlily <laughs> to rin and chase thee with murdering paddle. What the fuck? <laughs> Oh, I'm yeah. saying about yeah, the Scottish are... he writes, it's hard to understand. Not because right, it's let's, let's get back to old Chuck Feltner. Get on back to Chuck Feltner. On May 2nd, 1981, they located the wreckage of the brig Sandusky. On board his boat, the Gemini 2, were crew members Ben Klein, Tony Gramer, and Chuck Mueller. During the 1981 dive season, they made about 50 dives on the wreck, doing archaeological survey work and shooting documentary films and taking a bunch of still photos. See, 50 dives, you really, you could really get, yeah. capture that. So that's what we have to do next. Agreed, agreed. That's, I mean, that's how you do it, right? You, you get on one wreck and you, just and you really dive the hell out of it, of it over and over and over and over and over. And really, because that's how you get down there and you, you know, you start to learn all that stuff that you're looking at. Because when you, when you do a dive like once or twice, yeah, you're going to notice the bow sprint. Yeah, right. some you're of gonna, the big, the prop, the yeah, rudder. You're gonna notice the windlass, the four aft jism jazz dudes. Right, but, but <laughs> when these guys, you know, start, you know, looking at all the stuff, and they, you know, talk about where different belaying pins and name boards, and you know, knowing the, the, where all the different blocks and booms are laying, it's because they've really spent a number of hours on the dive. So in September of 1981, Chuck wrote. A piece that he titled Zen and the Diving of the Sandusky. So he says, each time I back rolled off the boat and broke through the surface of the water, it was like entering a time machine. The sensations I felt in passing through the sharp thermocline and losing the daylight were tantamount to being propelled into some sort of twilight zone. 
as the pressure of depth squeezed ever harder on my body and the biting cold of the 40 degree water of my early May numbed my bones. I began to wonder why I voluntarily do this. Very quickly, the answer appeared in the form of a ship's deck rail, barely visible through the greenish murky water. In a moment, I landed on the deck, and after the first puff of silt had blown off, I realized the time warp was complete. Here I was in this holy place again. Exploring the wreck was like going through an ancient European cathedral, except there were no crowds, for I was alone, completely alone. The presence of another diver would have been a desecration of this sacred rite. Slowly, I moved from one display to another. The first, first a row of dead eyes, then a windlass, and next a bowsprit, each one a virgin to the eyes. The experience was enhanced by a careful control of my buoyancy so that I was forever suspended in a weightless state. A slow and lazy swim kick was sufficient to drive me forward along the halls of this underwater museum. It seemed almost sinful to touch anything, for by now the religious dimension of the dive had taken me over completely. So when I first started reading this, you know, uh, you know, I, I looked at it when we were up there on the boat, and I was looking. They had the same book on the boat, mm-hmm. and I and I thought to myself, James Mott, you should go back and r- really Re-read read this this, yeah. this story because this is pretty cool when you get home. And when I did, I was like, yeah, we're, we're gonna. Although we don't want this to be you know our weekly diving podcast, I really wanted to bring this to because I think this is pretty fitting and pretty cool the way he goes through remembering the dive. And now keep in mind, he's saying like dropping down and. And landing on the deck, which from those photos that you took, I mean, we hit 20 feet of water and you could start to see the whole entire ship just open up, you know, over 100 feet long and you can see the whole damn thing. Right. In those days, I mean, they they dropped anchor, hit it, came down and in 10 feet or less of visibility really didn't see the wreck until they were on the wreck. Well, that's one of the reasons you needed 50 dives is because you had to explore each section and then kind of piece together the whole wreck in your mind, and you couldn't see it all at once. Right, where now you could go down and you can circumnavigate. Yeah, you can circumnavigate the wreck three, four times just by swimming around it and around it and around it and around it. Whereas in the 80s with 10 feet of visibility... You weren't going to cover a hundred feet of. Well, even of a if you wreck. covered it, even you didn't really see it. You know, you didn't get to know, to know it. It's, well, you saw. I mean, it, I want you, you to think to about. It. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, what that's what I mean by see it is I want you to think about what it's like to look at a wreck like in that in that picture that I put up there. There's a whole hundred and whatever foot long wreck that you can see in one photo versus taking a photo of that same wreck. From 10 foot of this, it's little piece by little piece by little piece. You Even if I put all those photos up there of little piece by little piece, you still wouldn't get what this thing really looks like. Nor would you, you really understand where everything is located and what the tiny little details of each area are. So, yeah, when you don't have viz, you don't have a real experience with the wreck. And that's what I mean. They had to keep going 50, 50 dives to get the same experience we can probably get in three or four in the sense of learning that wreck. That's my humble 
humble opinion. But yeah, and you go back to what you said, like we didn't want this podcast to become a you know weekly dive journal or a travel agent ad, which is exactly dead on what we don't want. And the reason this is kind of different, this is more about diving. Absolutely. It's yeah. not about it, a it's dive about destination. That. It's about how you feel diving. And that, what he wrote, you can apply to any any dive almost. Yeah, because you fall what, down what into that water. What he's sharing here is not so much seeing the dive with your eyes, but seeing it with your mind or seeing it with your heart. Feeling even. it, yeah. As always, the one thing that constantly reminded me that I was alone was the sound of my breathing. The only other sensation was the usual slight squeeze of my dry suit, which acted like the armband of a giant blood pressure measuring device, covering my whole body and making me feel my pulse everywhere. In this state, it took little effort to create a picture in my mind's eye of the Sandusky sailors frantically working the bilge pump in front of the broken main mast trying to clear the hold of water while each crashing wave opened the seams of the hull still further. Realizing it was a losing effort, they ran down the deck of the foremast and climbed the rat lines to the upper reaches of the mast and held on for dear life as the Sandusky slowly settled beneath the surface. No doubt they stared in fright as the water began to rise quickly up the mast, all the time wondering how deep the water really was. And then, with a slight bump, the hull struck bottom, leaving them momentarily safe in their precarious perch. In the distance, they probably could see the side-wheeler, Queen City, fighting her way towards them through the roaring gale. But her progress was agonizingly slow, and in the interim, Sam McHugh, Charlie O'Shea, and two others were swept away by the violent seas. The three who remained must have prayed to God with all the force of their souls for the arrival of the Queen City. I could only imagine their sense of resignation to death when a beam sea turned their rescue ship away. Most likely, they knew they would be gone before she could circle back. And I think the more you, the more time you really spend on a shipwreck like this, and the cool thing about these Great Lakes shipwrecks is they went down with tragedy more cases than not. You know, a lot of the shipwrecks when you go to these big travel destinations, they know they know shipwrecks are such a draw. And they bring in fish, they bring in it as an attraction, and they, they purposely sink some of these sh- ships. For diving, yeah. For diving, diving purposes, tourism. tourism. Mm-hmm. They've got a completely <clears throat> different feel than something that really went down in tragedy. And sure, this one that they purposely sank off the coast of whatever you know beautiful island may technically be better together. and, and It looks cool. It looks cool. It doesn't have the same spirit as something that may be more broken up. Yeah, it doesn't carry the history, and that's, I mean, that's the whole thing. And that's the thing with the Great Lakes is, like you say, they all went down in some kind of storm, or they hit something, they a collision. It was always an accident of some type, and the water's cold in the Great Lakes. That's all there is to it, and it is big enough that, I mean, the Great Lakes are so big, it's just like the ocean. You 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 go down in it, it's not like, hey, I'll just swim to shore. Just because right, we, right. they're called a lake, you know, you think, oh, yeah, I'll go down, you can just swim to shore. No, no, you can't. You're out there, baby. And there's current, and again, the water's cold most of the time, right? Even on its warmest, it's only in the 70s. 
if that, you know, that I think all contributes in the, to, in the heat, to the, in the heat of the, you know, August summer, mm-hmm. it may be 70, 70. On, mm-hmm. on the surface for the first six right. feet, you know? Yeah. Well, this one went, this one went down in September, but, September, but, but the still, fall. Yeah. yeah. The storms start whipping up. The wind starts coming. Uh, you know, say, I'm sure sailors would know the, the, the different wind, well, you know, and nor'easter the, and, uh, and a lot blah, blah. of the places in the lakes, just the way that wind moves and way those current moves, you can have 70 degrees on the surface one day and then on the it fall can be, it especially can be, yeah you know boom yeah 50 the fall the water the next starts day. churning for sure you're exactly right i mean he's talking uh, he's trying to explain it because while you're diving them you have to pay some kind of respect or at least have a, a certain degree of modicum and solemnity because they are essentially uh, graveyards they are a resting place for for dead sailors The picture of the drama of the Sandusky on the video screen of my mind was interpreted by the trained response to check my air supply. A glance at my pressure gauge indicated that the doors to this great cathedral would soon be closing. The anchor line took me out of the vestibule and back through the time warp with its attendant thermal and pressure change sensations. Breaking surface, I knew I was back in my intended world and time frame. It has always been a strange feeling to swim along the side of our boat after surfacing from a solo dive and look up into my wife Jerry's face and see an expression that looks as though she has been attending a wake for the gravely endangered. This expression changes quickly as soon as I flash her the AOK sign. The reunion with the non-equations of the boat is completed when they eagerly accept the pieces of gear I hand them as I climb out of the water onto the swim platform. In the cockpit, I strip the tank, weight belt and hood. Next comes the ritual of verbal intercourse with my diving companions who are eager to share vicariously in my experience. They engulf me with questions. What did you see? How was it down there? What did you see? Was there a current? What did you see? How was the visibility? What did you see? How? What? The whole thing takes on a primordial spirit like that associated with the return of the single combat warrior. When the gear is stored and things become settled, I reflect upon the practice of this religion. What has it meant? In short, I feel physically awakened and emotionally cleansed, for this has been an experience on one of the upper ledges of the ziggurat of the Brotherhood of Scuba. Very simply, diving the Sandusky is my zen. Cool. Yeah, I mean, he does a nice job of uh, kind of getting into the feeling versus, you know, what you see, you know, which yeah. is, what, is what you get out of most divers' reports is, you know, this is what the wreck looked like, this was the viz, here's the, the flora and fauna I saw on it, versus this is the feel of the wreck, yeah, the, you know. Yeah, the, the spirit of that wreck yeah. and, and where it put him. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked how he laid that out. Yeah, that was a nice job by the writer, for sure, and the author. Now, speaking of Zen, one of your uh, good old buddies, old Alan Watts. He's an old bar buddy. <laughs> The, the finger pointing to the moon guy. Well, that was from, Suzuki, from, actually. From, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not Watts, but Watts quotes him a lot. D.T. Suzuki. But yeah, yeah, along the same. And I'm sure Suzuki got it from, I mean, these quotes, these koans and quotes, and they're old, like Zen, like Buddhism is old. It's right, yeah, we're, we're talking about these extremely old shipwrecks from, I mean, this one, 1850s. Some of the shipwrecks in the Great Lakes from the 1600s. Mm-hmm. Um, these Zen Buddhism days are 
1200s, 1100s, more, even more than that. You know, yeah, uh, when yeah. these uh, Chinese dynasties yeah, and that, were, were developing. And Buddhism came from Hinduism, which is even older and older. You just keep going back. You know, and, and you and I keep coming to the, the discussion of diving really being an art more than a, it is a sport, how it's often right. described, right? Diving is an experience, not a thing. You know, that's the whole thing about it. It's an experience, and, and that's why it's an art. You know, just like you could say like a good athlete looks at his craft more artistically than athletically, I believe, when they get in that zone, when things just happen. And you get the same way with a somebody who's painting or doing any kind of artwork. That's the thing they hold in common, and that's diving. When your skills are to the point where they happen without you doing them. You know, he started talking about his dry suit squeeze and all that. So he was still feeling it, but he's still diving without doing it really you're just doing it naturally that's you know kind of what you how you want to teach divers to that's the that's if you want to have a goal you know if you want to say this is where you want to get because once you get to that point then it the diving is easy it just happens that's what i like about diving that's my thing i mean that's where i like to impart to students when i teach them is get to this point so old watts writes in one of his books the way of zen in the chapter the zen, zen in the arts some zenny music there zen in the arts. <laughs> say it again zen in the arts happily it is possible for us not only to hear about zen but also see it since one showing is worth a hundred sayings the expression of zen in the arts gives us one of the most direct ways of understanding it. Now, isn't that the truth about diving yeah. that wreck? You know, especially with the visibility we had over the weekend, the, the conditions. I mean, we can sit here on this show and you can re-listen to this podcast over and over and over again hundreds of times, but it's never going to match Direct the, exp experience. the experience of being there. Well, that's all Zen is. I mean, I'll... Buddhism is action and, and experience. That's that's like the main thing, really. You you can talk all you want. Words are just representative of something real. The word is not the thing, and that's what we mean by the finger pointing to the moon. It's not the thing. It's pointing to it. Paradoxical as it may seem, the purposeful life has no content, no point, Watts continues to write. It hurries on and on and misses everything. Not hurrying, the purposeless life misses nothing, for it is only when there is no goal and no rush that the human senses are fully open to receive the world. And that's what we were talking about with really being able to just be one with the water and let the wreck dive you. Yeah, yeah, very good. Instead of just powering through to get around it, to see as much as you can and experience as much as you can, you actually don't get any of the real You're missing essence. the point yes you miss the point when you try so hard and you in the early stages of learning i shouldn't even say earlier but some divers never achieve a uh at a level of you know mastery over the art of diving that they can just go in and experience the dive they're always trying to dive they're always you know working on it well their experience for them with their understanding is the logbook entry Oh, that's is, to, it, yeah, it is for a lot of folks it's, too. It's not so, the real experience of just what, being there. Yeah. What, like what Chuck was describing in right. his writing Zen and the shipwreck Sandusky. Mm -hmm. 
Thus, the aimless life is the constant theme of Zen art of every kind, expressing the artist's own inner state of going nowhere in a timeless moment. All men have these moments occasionally, and it is just then that they catch those vivid glimpses of the world which cast such a glow over the intervening wastes of a memory. I like how he puts that. The intervening waste of a memory. <laughs> well, that, I mean, you know, this is why I always like, you know, Zen and, and Alan Watts does such a great job of communicating. That's what he's really known for. If you read Alan Watts' history, he's an interesting, interesting man. Uh, he lived on a boat, by the way. I don't know if that means anything. Oh, nice. He lived on a boat in Frisco. But he was part of more than one government think tank, if you read in his history. So he, you know, people may think, oh, Alan Watts is just this guy. But he was well-respected in many areas. Uh, he started out as a, you know, not to give you a big history, but he, he started out going into Catholic monastery. And he uh, became a theology major, and he kind of started just examining all religions and whatnot and really became a proponent of Buddhism, and in particular Zen Buddhism. But he's very, yeah, you know, very this, intelligent, and yeah, he goes on and on about you know things like that. But anyway. He does. Yeah, he, he, he does go great on and on. on yeah, but, it, but it's beautiful poetic communication. Yeah, that's why he would always... he talks about he, you know, the arts, and he, he describes mm-hmm. it with painting and... Mm-hmm. It's the doing without doing. Uh, it just flows breathing. through you. You experience. You're not, you're not thinking about it. It's just happening. So He says, there is only this now. It does not come from anywhere. It is not going anywhere. It is not permanent, but it is not impermanent. Though moving, it is always still. When we try to catch it, it seems to run away. And yet it is always here, and there is no escape from it. And when we turn around to find the self which knows this moment, we find that it has vanished like the past. It's like trying to touch your finger with your finger. But yeah. It's, or it's, see, the, see your well, eyeball. It's, it's that, like, to bring it back to you know this Zen and the diving of the shipwreck, the Sandusky, that moment of being in the water on the dive is only there when you're there. Right. If you're in the moment... If you're thinking in the moment, if you're thinking of logging the dive or... What time does the boat get <laughs> exactly, back? Exactly. When's lunch? Did oh. I leave my iron on? Et cetera, et cetera. And that's what, you know, again... And, Zen, and I, can I say right down principle. to, um, yeah. you know, thinking of, you know, diving stuff such as, do I need to put more air on my BCD? Am I, uh, am I in trim? Uh, how's my kick looking? Uh, where's my buddy? Is, right. is, is my mask starting to fog up? Am I breathing out of my nose? You know, if, if these things are crossing your mind on the dive, you're not in the moment. You're missing the moment. Yeah, it's hard to be in the moment if you're constantly trying to dive well, which is why we say master dive, you know, try to master diving, practice and practice. And that's, you know, again, that's it's, what it's the, the patience. It's the patience for it to really come out in the long run rather than being so focused on needing to have this perfect diving mechanics immediately. Yeah. Yeah. You need the time for let for it to come out of you so it, it's organic within you. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Yeah. Alan Watts quotes from another book saying, In this moment there is nothing which comes to be. In this moment there is nothing which ceases to be. Thus there is no birth and no death to be brought to an end. Wherefore the absolute tranquility of Nirvana is this present moment. 
Though it is at this moment, there is no limit to this moment, and herein is eternal delight. And boy, I would uh, I would say that those last fading glimpses of that wreck as we were coming up and leaving definitely was a was a feeling of eternal delight. It was pretty pretty magical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are always. I mean, that's that's the draw of diving and shipwreck diving in particular. But you can get that. On any dive, if you really think about it, right? Yeah, yeah, you, I guess you could when you put it that way, right? Yeah, and that's the whole attraction. So, again, go back to your, this isn't really a, this isn't really a report on shipwreck diving or diving these particular wrecks we did on the Straits, in the Straits of Mackinac over the past weekend. It's a report on diving and, and the, the art, the, you know, the art of diving and being in the moment and, and really experiencing that, that dive, whether it is a shipwreck or cave. Or just well, uh, well, yeah. a reef. Uh, Good point, fishy, because yeah, because a lot of people, you know, get into diving after they've done it for a while. It does become a lot about I've got more dive logs than you. Yes, um, I've, I've got I've been deeper than you. You know, and it's it's the ego it, speaking too. Yeah, it, it's it's so it's not about the dive itself. It's about racking up points. It's about uh, yeah, yeah. And I think if uh, if all of us took a moment to get deeper within ourselves, especially on the dive, boy, we can make forgive make, the pun. Yeah, if we could <laughs> dive deeper into ourselves. Instead of just the water. We can really dive deeper into the water and into the dive. diver dives deeper in, within himself than he does in any water. Wait, let me say that again. Did, A did, true did, diver dives deeper within than he does in any body of water. Did Robert Burns say that? No. <laughs> he could have. <laughs> Actually, I probably channeled Robert Burns because I would say that over a glass of or three of vino. <laughs> I think he was a Scotchman. He was a Scotchman. He actually was. I think he probably, yeah, actually he was a Scotchman. I remember correctly from my many Burns nights I've attended. Maybe we could have a Burns night. There Read you that go. podcast, Burns Night. What day is it again? January 25th is National Poet. Scotland's National Poet. The Scottish Bard wrote the Auld Lang Syne. That's who you're, that's what you're listening to here, Auld Lang Syne. Oh, he wrote it? Burns wrote it? Robert Burns. You will know Robert Burns by his most recognizable work. This one, uh, this one says that uh, the old Robert Burns is still undiscovered. Oh, the wreck? Yeah. We, could go, we should go find that bitch. Rabbi Burns. Oh, they did find it, and then uh, they were towing it back, and it went down again. <laughs> okay, so hey, um, let's log this dive. This was a good dive. Yeah, as always. It was a it was a great dive weekend, and uh, I think this one came out really good for our show too. This is a this is a fun, interesting way to kind of bring a little bit of both uh, the the actual dive log that we did and the inner dive that ultimately that, that's what we're trying to do with this show is bring that to everybody yeah the feel or you know the artistry of diving i think that's i think that's our main you know in my humble opinion in my mind i like people to get that there's an art to diving you know it's not it's not a mechanical thing it's not about the gear and it's, it's not necessarily about the shipwreck or the cave it's about the feeling, the experience, right? The direct experience and what it does for you. Yeah. So and I then, think that was yeah. and good. Then the, and then the sharing that with everybody on the boat. Sharing from, from that with all the, the all these different the all these different walks of life on yeah. the boat. All walks of life on the boat. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Again, I I thought that was a great group of people we, we dived with and uh, were able to hang out with uh, post dive. It was really nice yeah, weekend. Ton so of fun. hopefully we do that uh, more often. 
we get to be able to, you know, go through that more often, that kind of thing. Hey, everybody who joined us over the weekend, thank you very much. You know who you are. Um, thanks for signing our logbooks. Thanks for letting us sign yours. Hope to see you again soon on uh, one of our upcoming dives. <laughs> yes, and safe dives until then. Adios. Buenos nachos. on mandingos how we looking on the popper 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 pretty penny puts pennies in her pocket <laughs> there's two versions of that tongue twister <laughs>